Hello and welcome to Laid Back Lush, a podcast where we discuss wine, beer, and spirits. I'm Michael, a former wine sales associate and vineyard worker. I'm sorry, um, I'm a little thrown off that Michael just changed our intro. Uh, and I'm I'm Gabe. I'm WSCT Level 3 certified and I work as an administrator for a wine and spirit educating body. And if you haven't already done so, please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Laid Back Lush, where you get hot takes that very rarely but sometimes include things on wine, beer, and spirits. Today we are going to be talking in the spirits element of this about jinn. Now, jinn are a mythical race of creatures said to exist outside of the physical or visible realm. They are often associated with malicious intent in nature and misfortune in life. Originating in the Asian continental region with many religions and cultures, the word jinn roughly translates Man, to we are really just committing spirit. to the bit right now, aren't we, Michael? <laughs> what bit? <laughs> Oh, you're right. I forgot that we uh, we decided to become a supernatural ghost hunting podcast. Dude, you said we're doing an episode on gin. We're a podcast on wine, beer, and spirits. I'm not sure where I went wrong. Just here. because you watched The Witcher when we were talking about this doesn't mean no, no, no. no. That's not where I got all my information. I get it all from Disney's Aladdin. <laughs> <laughs> they aren't even called gin in Disney's Aladdin. <laughs> no, exactly. I have to read in between the lines. Oh, the subtext yeah. of that and Wishmaster. Anglicized name. Yeah, that and Wishmaster, you know. Mm. Master, apprentice, heartborn. Wait, have you never seen Wishmaster? No, I'm just singing the Nightwish song. Oh, because Which of is Wishmaster. a fantastic song, by the way. I don't know this song. I'm showing my ignorance. Oh, that's sad. I thought you were just distracting from your ignorance, but little did I know. Well, both of us apparently are both of very us. ignorant. <laughs> the meeting of the ignorance. <laughs> That's actually the new name of this podcast. Oh my I feel God. like it's very accurate. No, that'd be perfect. Okay, so we're not talking about gin, but we are talking about gin, which is also hard to see because it is a colorless liquid. Uh, uh, yeah, it's not the best. It's not the best segue, but it, we're working with what we got here. It wasn't the best of times, but it was the worst of puns. <laughs> I'm just slowly turning into one walking dad joke. <laughs> Michael's ascending to his final form. <laughs> my fanny pack is literally growing out of my hips. <laughs> the fanny pack. No. My dad actually wore a fanny pack. Funny story. I please tell me he wore sandals with it. Uh, no, no. Oh. His feet got super cold, so he oh. always had to have either slippers or socks or both on. Slippers are like a real dad move. Mm -hmm. Especially if they're like the big fluffy ones. I, I have the big fluffy ones. You you really are becoming a dad. <laughs> yeah, my my mustache and big glasses are literally forming out of my face <laughs> as we talk. Your car is transforming into a minivan as we speak. No. <laughs> Just, becoming an Escalade. <laughs> yeah, but it's like it's like not even like a great color. It's like that kind of like dark green color. Mm -hmm. Oh, yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's yep, the one. Yep. But it's okay because it's pearl, so it's 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 a pearl green. We actually don't have a lot of time to record this, so we're gonna have to rush through things because yeah. Michael is actually, you know, having to take the kids to soccer practice. <laughs> I have to I have to swing by the hardware store as well in order to go around the aisles and stare at things. <laughs> All right, Let, let's talk about gin. Promise my kid I would get him a coke. Do dads do dads like gin? Is that a good transition? I mean, gin and tonic. Uh, is, that it, a, is that a dad drink, though? I don't really think so. I feel like a dad drink is like old-fashioned, which is old-fashioned. Well, okay, I am a dad, a too, if old fashions are dad And a drinks. grony. Mm, yep, yeah. Which, true. what do I order every time that we... 
All I'm saying. Oh my god. All I'm saying is. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, so gin. <laughs> gin is a colorless alcoholic beverage made from distilled or redistilled neutral grain spirits flavored with juniper berries and various botanicals and spices. That's the long and the short of it. It yeah. has to contain mostly juniper. That has to be the main thing. Very aromatic spirit. It's not going to be like your vodkas or your um, your sojus. It's not going to yeah. be like that. It's going to have a very aromatic profile. Yeah. And this profile is going to be dominated by the fruit of the juniper plant, which is actually not a fruit at all. It's an evergreen tree in the same family as the cypress. Uh, not, a coniferous, not the cypress, not, not the cypress. Michael thought it was cypress. Yeah, apparently, well, you know what? I, when I was reading the dictionary and I was younger, I couldn't actually tell what the uh, phonetics were because nobody told me what what the phonetic um, the phonetics were. The, the but way like, that you're have you to never them. heard anyone say cypress? Yeah, but potato, potato. No, not potato, potato. <laughs> cypress and cypress. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> anyway, you know? anyway. Anywho, so uh, the tree itself, it mostly inhabits the northern hemisphere, including having the highest tree line in the world in the Himalayas. The berries are actually not berries at all, but since this is a conifer, it is a type of cone. It's just that they are particularly fleshy and typically are going to be uh, of a dark kind of blue-purple type color. And this is what they use, this fruit, this cone is what they use in order to flavor gin. So as far as when this started... Partially, at least. Partially, at the very least. Primarily. A lot of people will say if it doesn't have a predominant juniper flavor, it's not really gin. Yeah, because I've seen people use things like... The most common are like anise or caraway. Yeah. But you can also get like orris root in there. Um, uh, Citrus peels just kind of across the board are very common. Yeah. But we'll we'll be getting into that more when we talk about the production side of things. And the thing is, is this has been used throughout history primarily because of its medicinal value. Correct. Um, In point of fact, knowing what we know about gin in modern times, we know that it has the martini, the Singapore sling, and then gin and tonic. All of these actually have ties back to different functional things. Mm -hmm. So the first that we know of was actually a guy named Padanius Discorides, and he was publishing a five-volume encyclopedia about herbal medicine all the way back in 70 AD. He was a, apparently a, like a Roman physician or something like that, but he would... It would make sense if he's writing a medical tonic encyclopedia. Yeah. But he was basically talking about a process by which you steep juniper berries inside of wine in order to relieve respiratory ailments, chest ailments in general. And then we also have some others. Something I did not come across in my research. Do we know if that actually has any medical legitimacy with our modern understanding? You know, when I was looking into the history of it, it it really doesn't seem to be whether or not it did. I could imagine just simply because of the aromatics that it I was going to say. Like I, I feel like it's up. like yeah, it clears things out, kind of like wasabi when you're stuffed up. Yeah, no, I'm mean, obviously a very different chemical reaction is taking place there, but. Yeah, I, I feel like it would just make you feel like you're breathing deeper. And yeah. if you're... and also there's alcohol, so you know it's going to be a pain reliever. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of aromatics, when you start to breathe deeper, you start to move things if they mm. are in there. So yeah. if you did have something like pneumonia or there was a little bit of liquid in there, just simply by exercising your diaphragm, you're yeah. going to end up getting that out. To all of our listeners, breathe with your diaphragm. <gasps> it, it, it legitimately is better for you. Yeah, exactly. It's also better if you sing with your diaphragm. Give it a try. See what happens. Where else have we seen, though, uh, juniper being used throughout history? 
Well, so we do also have in 1055 AD, we have Benedictine monks in Salerno, Italy, in the Compendium Salernita. They mentioned kind of this same tonic that you're talking about. But then we move to the 16th century, and the Dutch began producing a drink called Yennever. Yennever uh, is actually still made to this day. You can buy Yennever. There's all sorts of different kinds of Yennever out there. I really want to find some of this. It sounds very interesting. I'm very curious to try it after finding out what it is. And what it is is malt wine or malt wine uh, in Dutch. It is a neutral spirit distilled with juniper berries um, and some other botanicals to mask the flavor of the malt wine itself. Malt wine is an unaged whiskey that is triple, sometimes quadruple uh, distilled, but normally triple distilled, that is made from primarily rye, corn, and wheat. Sometimes there is barley, germinated barley, to act as a enzymatic malt. If you don't know what that means, go listen to either our beer episode or our whiskey episode. We go much more in-depth into that process in that episode. But yeah, so basically it's an unaged whiskey that is mixed with this spirit different levels and different producers it's not uh there's not a set ratio for that mixture but that is essentially what it is yeah so this in some way or another ended up getting translated throughout europe where they were constantly trying different iterations of it until finally we ended up seeing one of its largest boons in the 17th century uh in 1689 we had a coronation of one William III, who was king of England, Ireland, and Scotland. Gosh, Michael, jumping ahead of the notes already. Uh, <laughs> I, got, I want to talk about William the Orange. <laughs> oh, I know. He's, he's an interesting figure. But before we get to William, the name Jin, as we understand today, came from a book called The Fable of the Bees or Private Vices, Public Benefits by Bernard Mandeville. The history of where the word has come from is thought to have come from Yennefer that then got imported into England, and the English, as they do, get drunk, and when you're drunk, you don't pronounce things as well, and so it just got shortened to gin. That's the theory of how yeah. gin became the colloquial term in Well, England. I mean, it's, it's an etymological constant that the more frequently a word is used, the shorter it becomes. Yeah. So, and it got very frequently used, especially in England. True bestie, go off. True bestie. <laughs> so, so William III, also known as William the Orange, became king of England, Ireland, and Scotland in 1689. And he decided to do something that sounds awfully familiar for an orange person. And he started a blockade against the French, levying very heavy taxes against the wine import as well as the cognac import as a way of trying to actually cripple the French economy. Yeah, he did not like the French very much. He did not like the French. While at the same time, he ended up actually making tax cuts to the distillation process. Pretty hefty tax cuts yeah. at that. At this point, gin became cheaper than beer. And especially for the poorer classes of England, this became quite the shift yeah. in what people were consuming because you could get a pint of gin for less than what you could get a pint of beer for. We were talking about this before we started recording, but in a way, it, you think about it, it's kind of the inverse of what happened during Prohibition in the United States where it was the scarcity that made everybody into drunkards. Here, it was the overabundance that let everybody being drunkards well and it's not like gin had the same because with beer you were at least getting some sort of nutrition out of it right yeah and beer is not 
distilled. So it's not it's not nearly as alcoholic. So even though not ideal, you shouldn't be getting your primary source of calories from beer. Particularly not now that we have access to a full macro complete diet. Yes, as I mean, most of us, hopefully. Yeah, 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 yes, yes. There are food deserts in the United States. And hopefully we will we will advance beyond that as well in our infrastructure. Uh, But especially in those times, for them to shift over from beer, which was a relatively healthy option, over to gin, which was just being produced by everybody Mm -hmm. and their sister and their cousin and their mother, it it became a problem. Yes. And uh, what was that problem, Michael? (laughs) So if you remember... We talked about some dangerous additives during our Prohibition episode. Mm-hmm. Well, what happens if you're a couple of centuries before that, and uh, the things that you're adding in are things like turpentine, or sulfuric acid, or sawdust. Or sawdust, yeah, that was another one. Yeah, gin mania started to be a thing that kind of swept through. People were literally going crazy. They would become alcoholics mm-hmm. addicted to the product, yeah. but then they were also going crazy. Or going blind. Or going blind. Mm-hmm because of these things and so i'm a i'm a painter i don't even use turpentine i have something called turpenoid natural that smells like oranges because turpentine is so bad yeah. to be consumed in any way even smelling it is bad for you yep and they were drinking it <laughs> yeah so this became a really big problem the lower classes in particular were were just drinking i mean drinking is kind of an understatement guzzling really yeah just, it, copious amounts of gin a lot of it was contaminated with these things because it was just a completely unregulated industry at this point yeah well in, in high society where people weren't dealing dealing with scarcity and they weren't really having to drink out of a cathartic impulse mm-hmm. yeah it, it was fashionable it was among the elite yeah yeah so well. they would yeah. they would sip on it whatever but then in the poorer sectors it was it like, was just out of control it was out of control you have people who are working heavy labor jobs they're having to feed a family or or maybe they're destitute whatever the case is they just go and buy a pint of gin you know and they just go for it yeah so as a response to all this the smartest option the smartest option basically the government enacted a 50 pound distilling license this was a very hefty price for the time and there was also a five pound informant reward for people reporting illegal distillers yeah which is this wasn't a regulating body it was literally you pay the fee and then you get the license. Yeah. And at this point, this was part of common trade, uh, especially once the colder months came around. They had this thing called gin and gingerbread. And so they would heat up the gin yep. and they would be giving out gingerbread for this a was quick like shilling. a whole festival that yeah. would happen, particularly, again, in the poorer parts of London. So then when you had this going on, instead of, again, it being something that was a regulation in order to keep people safe, it was just simply another tax. Yeah. So it didn't really work in terms of actually improving the quality of the gin, and it really heavily disrupted the industry as a whole. Then the propaganda started coming out. Mm -hmm. There were even etchings that were created in newspapers uh, as a form of propaganda in order to show that the mania was a a problem. And they would draw a contrast between beer and gin in particular. They're kind of funny looking at them, I think, from a modern understanding, uh, particularly after prohibition and i guess alcohol culture in the united states being uh very 
I don't want to say anti-alcohol for a long time, but that is kind of what it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, they literally... it's just it's funny seeing beer promoted as like the safe one, the safe one, the one that, you know, you get to loosen up and have a little fun, but not going overboard. Whereas, you know, in the gin version, we have you a woman are impaling babies, you're impaling <laughs> babies, you're throwing them into the canal. Like it's it is wild. Some yeah. Of these etchings. Oh, no, I, I just, so there's this one in particular. It'll be the first one if you search it, uh, trigger warning and also nudity warning if you are looking up this etching. But she just has this most, just the, the best look on her face as she's dropping her baby over the side of a, of a group of stairs. I mean, honestly, that's me every morning when I wake up, so I can't even really judge her and, for it. And then there's a guy with a loot just jaunting down the street with an impaled baby. Like, this was intense propaganda. Yeah, it, it, it was very much, you, we are trying to dissuade people from drinking gin. Because, I, and I get it, gin really actually was making people go crazy. Yeah. So it's understandable that there was this very severe backlash. Absolutely. They started to drink more beer. They were Mm -hmm. promoting the drinking of tea. Yep. But it really wasn't relieved until they started raising taxes again. Yeah. So there was actually Parliament passed what was called the Gin Act of 1751. And this raised taxes and also fees for retailers, uh, and it made licenses more difficult to obtain. So that started to introduce some regulation into the market. Another thing that really revolutionized spirits making as a whole, this is very instrumental into scotch also as well. Fun fact, the invention of the coffee still in 1830 by Anias Coffee. Spelled C-O-F-F-E-Y. Correct. It's not coffee like the drink, ma'am. This is the first um, continuous still. If you are familiar with what a continuous still is, you know already. For those of you who don't know, it's basically a column with these plates in it, and you put your mash into the bottom of the still. Mash is what you're going to be distilling with. And as you heat it up, the vapors and the alcohol travel up and some water as well. And each successive layer going up will produce a purer and purer neutral spirit normally lower levels will keep some more spirit character but this allowed for highly rectified neutral spirits which really helped quote-unquote clean up the gin making process into what we know today to this day the main method of producing gin does use these continuous stills yeah and this this really did allow for this to be not only a more fashionable drink, but it also allowed it to be a less destructive drink because the less additives that are inside of something, the more pure that the drink is, the better it transports, the better it yep, the better it is for you in your system. And this is when we actually started seeing it being used for more official purposes. Because at this point you had the British Royal Navy starting to really travel to some different areas. Yeah. Unfortunately, those areas Yay, colonialism. Yay. <laughs> The sun never sets on the British Empire. Oh, my God. Don't call it out. (laughs) I don't. You know how much I have to get over on a daily basis not to think about that? Did you know that uh, Canadian prime ministers still have to swear fealty to the queen? That's a thing. What? Yeah. No, uh, the Canadian government is um, still, technically speaking, uh, subservient to the British royal family. Do you think that they care? 
it it's kind of meaningless in a current context like it's still has the queen of england ever even been to canada i, I probably i would, well, no, assume, she, I, I would um, assume she has i know that she's been to uh she attended um a jamestown festival actually really yeah way way back in the day hmm. how yeah. progressive of her <laughs> yeah right well no <laughs> apparently in england they they like super celebrate pocahontas and everything like um only we could treat the natives with such respect yeah, right uh, no anyway, well, that's a different podcast for a different time <laughs> there's a difference when we celebrate our neighbors who we have stolen things from it means that there's an expectation of some level of action when you're overseas you don't have to do anything true <laughs> it's real so, easy to pay lip service isn't it it really <clears throat> is not that i'm saying hey <clears throat> let, let honor be honor i just uh it would be nice if we also had that and it would be kind of nice if also there was some action anyways different podcast Here british we go. royal navy whoa british they, royal navy they're they, going to different places yes and those places have a lovely little virus called malaria Woohoo! yay um so malaria it's known to be combated by something called uh, quinine. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Hold I believe on. that's how it's pronounced. You know what? I, I have the tools to... It is it is quinine. Quinine. Uh, so quinine is used to combat malaria, but unfortunately, it tastes really bad. So yep. Schweppes, I bet you didn't know that Schweppes was around this long, they ended up making something called the Indian Tonic. And this Indian Tonic was infused with juniper berries in order to mask the flavor of the quinine. And inevitably, because gin is more transportable than beer, it doesn't spoil as quickly, it's, you know, less prone to, well, pretty much anything. Also, it's stronger, so you can have an increased amount of alcohol for a lower amount of volume to transport. Because of that, they started mixing the tonic with the gin. And then there's another problem that would occur with traveling on the seas for a long amount of time. And that was the lovely little gum disease of scurvy. Yar. Yar. Anytime that you see like a pirate adaptation where like their gums look either super red or inflamed or even black in some occasions, that's, that's called scurvy. That's scurvy. Yep. And you need a healthy dose of citric acid in order to combat that. So they started putting gin in the tonic and they would also have some lime mm -hmm. in the tonic. Lime cordials were also very popular yeah. on British Royal Navy ships to preserve the limes that they would use for this tonic. And this ended up being the reason why sailors were also called limeys. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, which is absolutely fantastic. I don't like the reason why it exists, but I also love the utility <laughs> of why it exists. It, you know, it, there's good and bad in everything, right, when it comes to history. So from that point on, it, it basically evolved into what we know of gin to be today. We Precisely. have these long-standing producers. So how is gin made? How do, Modern day, what do we do for gin? Well, so gin were meant to be, uh, they, they basically predate along with a whole mythos of creatures, <sighs> the human race. And they're said to be responsible for the extinction of many of those races. Mm. Yeah. Um, but they still affect us today, according to the belief. I, I see. Yeah. I see. Well, uh, one of the ways that they affect us is by starting as a very neutral <laughs> grain spirit. <laughs> me, me over here just trying to literally derail this podcast. <laughs> I won't let you. <laughs> this is my child. There are people on that train. There are people on <laughs> um, yes so uh gin as we said at the beginning it starts as a neutral grain spirit again normally done in one of these continuous stills the coffee stills are still used to this day fun fact mm -hmm. 
we do have more advanced versions of column stills as well, but that that is still a, a popular method of producing gin. Then the grain spirit is redistilled in a pot still. So it's going to during this redistillation in the pot still process. And if you don't know what a pot still is, it's made of copper. It doesn't look like a pot. It looks more um, normally they're kind of cone shaped, roughly cone shaped with what's called a line arm coming down from the top. That's where the distillate recondenses, and then it goes into some kind of spirit container. So you have this vessel. This mm-hmm. vessel is, is heating the liquid, and then yeah. as the alcohol is evaporating and getting those elements of the juniper and the various other spices, it's recondensing in that arm. Correct. Which is, which is narrowing and condensing it. Yeah, so in these pot stills, there's kind of the main... Base, which is kind of a bulbous thing. And then there's what's called an onion head in a lot of these pot stills that are used for gin production in particular, where it's kind of a second bump right above that initial one. And that is where they'll put a basket filled with botanicals. So juniper, obviously, being one we mentioned, coriander, cardamom, uh, anise or anise seed, whatever that, that particular producer is using every producer has a different mix of botanicals normally that they're putting in with their gin so when the distillate goes through that basket it picks up some of those characteristics so that's now how we tend to make gin there's also a method of sometimes people will steep the botanicals in the liquid in just in the bottom of the pot itself and let it infuse that way now that we have, you know, artificial flavorings and we can extract flavorings and stuff, we do have natural and artificial flavors that are used in gin production now. It's very hard to get a consistent flavor out of, out it of is. juniper. And those are also, though, typically used for um, lower quality gins as well. Um, not necessarily not necessarily bad gin. Don't get me wrong. There are good flavored gins that are not necessarily made in this production style where it's, you know, botanicals being used in the distillation process. There are still good gins that are flavored, quote unquote, but uh, that is considered to be a lower quality typically than like your London dries and whatnot. So let's get into that, actually. The different kinds of gin or the main kinds of gin that you'll see. So most popular botanicals across the board are going to be coriander, lemon and orange peels, cinnamon, obviously juniper, and normally some kind of like spice seed. So anise, um, cardamom, like I said earlier. So when that gets into the kinds of gin that we have, we have our London dry gins. These have to start in a column still. They have to be distilled to around 95% ABV. I love London dry gins. They're they're boodles of fun. We we're going to be doing a tasting, unfortunately, here in a second of a boodles London dry gin. <laughs> And I'm so angry. I am (laughs) wrathful right now that Michael just made that pun. Anyway, so So tell me about the London Dry Gin. Once we get to this 95% ABV spirit, neutral spirit, neutral grain spirit, let me be specific. It does have to be a grain spirit. It is then finished in a pot still with this onion head where the botanicals are again hung in that basket. You have to use a high quality spirit for this. It just doesn't work otherwise. It does have to be redistilled with the botanicals to be London dry. It cannot have flavorings added after the first or second distillation. It all has to be done with the redistillation process to get that flavor into the gin. It has to be dry, so less than 0.01 gram of sugar per liter of the alcohol is allowed in London dry gin. 
And the finished product is going to be in your 40 to 45% ABV. Most gins fall into kind of the whiskey category, around 40%, 40 to 45. Then we have kind of a, a subset, actually, now, technically speaking, of London Dry called Plymouth. The reason I include this is Plymouth is a producer, but they are a very well-known producer. And actually, the Savoy Cocktail Book mentions Plymouth Gin by name, I think, like four times in the book. So that's actually a pretty big deal. If you don't know what the Savoy Cocktail Book is, it's kind of like the seminal cocktail book that is still used to this day by bartenders. Very popular book. So Plymouth is mentioned in that. It is drier than a London Dry. I don't have the grams per liter listed here, but it is drier. It's more citrus forward. It's also going to be earthier, richer texture, and a kind of spicier finish just from the botanicals and the flavorings that they use in their gin production. It's a blend of seven botanicals. It's going to be juniper, coriander seed, dried orange peels, dried lemon peels, cardamom, angelica root, and orris root. Mm. So these roots are going to be giving that more earthier texture. And this is, technically speaking, legally a London dry gin. So still going to be in that 40 to 45% ABV as well. Yes. So if you're buying from the EU, they kind of have their own classification system for gin. So we have our classic gin, which is pot distilled fermented grain mash. It's going to be moderate strength, around 68%. Then that's going to be redistilled with the botanicals, including juniper, to extract whatever flavorings and aromatic compounds you're trying to get out of that. Minimum, 30% ABV. So this is not going to be quite as high as your London Dry Gins. Then we have just straight gin under EU law. So this is a classification that does allow for natural flavors to be added to a neutral spirit to flavor it and give it that gin character. This one has a minimum of 37.5 ABV. So a little bit higher than classic gin, but uh, this does not have to have the distillation or the redistillation, excuse me, introduce the flavors. It can be added in. Then we have distilled gin. This can have natural and artificial flavors added after distillation. So from what I understand, these might have undergone the more classic way of doing it where they will redistill, but then they might adjust after that process again, with flavoring extracts to get a consistent final product. And then at the top of the EU hierarchy, we have London Dry. And we just went over London Dry. London Dry, I will say, probably going to be the one. That and just regular straight gin. Gin are probably going to be the two that you're going to find the most often in your liquor stores, at least around here. Moving out of the EU classification system, we have compound gin which is made by infusing flavorings with no redistillation that's pretty self-explanatory we have navy strength gin which given the history that does come from how the british royal navy would transport their gin this is an overproof gin so this is going to be a minimum of 57.1 percent abv minimum yeah this is strong stuff if you see navy strength just know that you're in for for a hit Yes. This is primarily a cocktail gin. Yeah. Because it it keeps the gin profile in very small quantities. So it's great for mixing with other stuff if you don't want to use a whole lot of spirit, but still maintain that strong 
Juniper Jin character. Because remember, in order to get down to the amount of ABV that is going to be typical in like a London Dry or something like that, they are mixing in water. This is diluted. Yeah. So when you have more of the original product being present, it just is going to carry more of the original product's character. Correct. Then we have <laughs> my personal favorite. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> the bath- only one he'll drink. <laughs> the only one I'll drink. Bathtub, which then leads into Old Tom Gin. If you listen to our Prohibition episode, Bathtub Gin might be a familiar term to you. It's created by mixing cheap grain alcohol. Bathtub gin, excuse me, is made by mixing cheap grain alcohol with flavorings and other agents. So juniper berry juice instead of the juniper berries themselves. Um, glycerin was used during Prohibition. Um, this is where bathtub gin like really got a reputation for being that really disgusting, nasty thing that you had to mix with these really sweet juices. That's where a lot of Prohibition cocktails came yeah. from. They were literally trying to mask how bad that spirit tasted. There's actually not a whole lot of evidence that it was being primarily made in bathtubs that did happen, but people also sometimes would have to distill it in the first place. Bathtub gin just kind of became a catch-all term for this kind of gin that was having things just kind of thrown in it. Yeah. And not high quality, not good. Low production, unlicensed producers. Exactly. And that, moving on to the next point for bathtub gin, during Prohibition in particular, it was typically made with denatured alcohol. That was gotten from, you know, um, doctors, actually, because doctors could prescribe alcohol for medicinal purposes or from bootleggers who were able to get it. And again, the federal government put denatured alcohol in with other kinds of alcohol to poison people who are trying to drink it. Denatured alcohol will kill you. Yeah. So this is where bathtub gin got that reputation ethanol of being methanol, harmful. Not yeah. a great, not a great cocktail. No, not a great cocktail. It is a cocktail, but it's not one that we recommend. Yeah, it's uh, one that causes <laughs> blindness and death. Yeah. Eventually, though, this kind of formula of this style of making gin has evolved into what is now known as Old Tom gins. Now these are sweeter, normally because of adding licorice, but don't think of like. They taste like absinthe or that flavor profile. The licorice normally just adds a sweeter taste to Old Tom Gin. They do add in botanicals and flavorings after redistillation for Old Tom Gin normally, but Old Tom Gin is actually like a quality product now. Just know that it's going to be sweeter. It's not going to have the botanicals infused in the same way that a London Dry is. And it's typically, again, more used for cocktail making than drinking straight. Precisely. And then to finish out our kinds of gin, we have slow gin, which is not actually gin, but it is a liquor, technically, meaning it falls in the 20 to 25% ABV range. It's basically the same flavor profile, but again, it's sweeter and it's going to be lower alcohol than like a London dry. Yeah. And that's a slow gin. And again, primarily some kind of mixer in a cocktail normally so we have a london dry here yes we do let's give a quick tasty note of it let's do this is going to be boodles of fun twice 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 i am growing more violent by the second all right so we have up on our tasting docket boodles a british london dry what do you think of this michael oh and it is 45.2% ABV. There it is. That's what I was looking for. 
because of the fact that it is a, a neutral grain spirit, I am getting a lot of pine on mm-hmm. the nose. I'm also getting that that little bit of like acetone type aroma yeah. from it. This is uh, we are drinking these out of Glencairn glasses. Just so you guys know, we are we are doing this as an official tasting. Yes, that pininess is accented with just a little bit of like a lime zest. I would say lime and lemon. Yeah, but particularly like key lime. It's more yeah. that sweeter that sweeter lime aroma. Yeah. Let's let's give it a little tasty taste phenomenally smooth yeah so we uh, full disclosure we've been sipping on this for the entire episode and a little bit before i really like this gin it's funny because i actually normally go for much stronger gins which we'll actually get to here in a second because we have a second tasting of a surprise gin for you guys but this is really nice this is one that i would say great for summer cocktails in particular even just a gin and tonic this is very smooth. The lemon really does hit, but it's um I would say it's almost like a candied lemon where it's mm-hmm. not it's not that sour puckering kind of lemon. It's more that sweeter lemon juice, a little bit of sugar, lemonade. Not lemonade, uh lemonade's not correct, but like almost candied. I, I think candied is maybe a better term. Like you could see it as a zesty melon. Yeah. On the tongue. Mm-hmm. Very high though in uh, so there are a couple of different types of compounds that are going to be found inside of juniper. These compounds are typically going to be alpha-pinene, which is where you get the pine aroma, limonene, which is where you get that more lemony, limey aroma. You, you also say. borneal, which is going to be your woody aromas, and then your farnesine, which is going to be floral. You can also get sabonine, which is going to be like a black pepper-type spicy note. Mm-hmm. This is super high limonene. This is a very, very zesty, citrus-forward flavor, but it also has this kind of smooth melon to it as well. And, you know, now that you say pepper, I I do get a little bit of black pepper, but I would also add in maybe a little bit of pink pepper, which um, if you're listening and that's very obscure for you, I apologize. Pink pepper um, is delicious. It's delicious, and it's a little bit more mellow than straight-up black pepper. I do get some black pepper as well, but I would say... It skews more for pink pepper, at least in my opinion. Yeah. There's just a little bit of that that spice, but it goes away actually pretty quickly, and you're just left with a lot of that more lemony, almost kind of like um lemon oil yeah. almost on the palate, just very smooth. Yeah, I really enjoy this. This yeah. is it, it, if, if you're not, I would say if you're either new to gin or you you don't think you like gin because you've maybe had only had like um sapphire or the more in your face kind of gins this is actually i think a very good gin for you yeah no i am ginning with happiness right now i am going to come across this table i am going to come across (laughs) this table and assault you Uh, you heard it here first if you're there for our trial uh we have the evidence I follow you know, us at laid back lives. <laughs> we're gonna be live tweeting out the assault. Live tweeting the trial. No, live, live tweeting. tweeting the assault. Oh no. my gosh. Yes. Yeah, that's that is our aesthetic. Yes. That is our aesthetic. <laughs> All right. Uh what was the price range on this guy? This was on sale. Um I got it for twenty two and I think normally I think it was twenty seven or twenty eight dollars. So um not the cheapest, but I mean, well, actually, this is seven hundred fifty milliliters, so that's actually um for that's the so for the volume at that the more I'm thinking about it, especially for how much I'm enjoying this, I am very happy with what I paid for it. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is this is really nice. Well, we have a second tasting underway. We are about to try 
my personal favorite gin, which is called gunpowder gin. Now, gunpowder gin is the literal exact opposite of what we just had. This is from a, a brand called Drum Shanbo. It is a very unique style of gin. It's, yes, <laughs> Michael hasn't even put up to his nose yet, and he can already smell it. Yeah, I could smell it, and also it evaporated off the bottom of the glass from just the heat of my hand. Yeah, so this is not a liquor to mess around with. This is made using the redistillation method. The botanicals that are going to be used are going to be meadowsweet, cardamom, juniper berries, coriander seed, angelica root, orris root, caraway seed, and star anise. And these are going to be, from what I understand from their website, distilled in the pot. So I'm assuming those are infused in the distillate, well, the pre-distillate that goes into the bottom of these pot stills. And then it's going to pass through a basket with gunpowder tea, which is an actual kind of tea, lemon, oriental grapefruit, and kefir lime. So this has an extremely pronounced tea and spice character this is a sharp gin like sharp is really the best way i can describe the aroma profile of this gin not for the faint of heart um this is a very good cocktail gin because you don't need a lot for a lot of payoff aromatically speaking um and you already mentioned the name uh the emblem is actually a jackalope it is a jackalope yeah a jackalope in motion, so drum shambo. And what's our uh, ABV on this? This is 43%. Okay. This actually comes across a little bit licorice-y to me, even though licorice is not listed. I think it's probably yeah. a combination of the caraway and the different seeds that are in this and the anise. Yeah, 100%. You do get that grapefruit, you get that lemon, and you, you get the tea. Gunpowder tea is very potent aromatically, and it definitely comes across on this. Yeah. Gunpowder tea. So for those of you who don't know about tea at all, you have different classifications of tea. Gunpowder tea is the most malty. It also has the highest surface area of anything else because it is powder. Yeah. Which means that you're going to get a lot of those tannins inside of it. Uh, you're going to get a lot of the, the profile of the completed fermentation because it's typically also going to be a form of black tea. Yes. So this is not like your white tea or your green tea or anything like that. This is completely fermented. And to be clear, no tannins are making their way into this finished product because it's passing through as a vapor. It's only picking up the aroma and the flavor compounds. So instead, you just get that <clears throat> maltiness. It's not going to grip your tongue or anything like that. Yeah. Like we've mentioned when we talk about tannins inside of wine, it's just going to have that kind of malty gunpowder tea yeah. aroma. That's very prevalent. So as I said, this is my favorite gin that I have tried. Oh I gosh. It's like smelling a hot toddy. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the profile of what I normally like, I like scotch. I like mezcal. I like very aggressive liquors and this is an aggressive liquor i would say particularly for a white liquor and like when i'm smelling this you are right i get a lot of the gunpowder tea in it there's a good deal of that limonene coming from the yeah. from the juniper itself there's also that kind of mixture of those flavors is producing that kind of licorice-esque aroma mm -hmm. but it's like smelling 
a very very sophisticated hot toddy i i wish i had a cologne that smelled exactly like this oh my god because <laughs> i i love this aroma this is it's beautiful it's so well balanced it's just it's incredible have you been drinking no officer this is my cologne this is my natural scent this is my natural mask <laughs> i sweat lemonade you see <laughs> i would i would actually love a juniper type ipa like a juniper uh ipa or maybe a juniper sour that's i sweat juniper sour yes. yeah juniper sour that's i sweat lemonine yes i think hardy would get on it hardy would get on that <laughs> all right let's try it yeah i would recommend taking sips i'm gonna guzzle uh, okay I'm going for the classical style of drink known in England. I was about to say, he's going for that English style drink. Mm. Te gusta? Te gusta. Mm. Me gusta. Oh. Me gusta. <laughs> if you did not know, I am not a natural Spanish speaker. <laughs> tu bebes gunpowder gin. <laughs> Yo bebo. Yo bebo. Gin. <laughs> Quiero gunpowder gin. <laughs> Yes, I would also say quiero, but I would say tu quieres. Si. Join us on la at Laid Back Leisure for <laughs> Spanish lessons. Please don't. Please, Please don't, don't do that. Don't learn Spanish don't, from us. Don't ruin your life like that. <laughs> oh, my God. It was bad. So what do you think of the gin, Michael? No, it's really lovely. Uh, I get a lot of this supernatural, ethereal quality. This feeling of maliciousness, malintent. Uh, fiery. Fiery. Desert-like, yeah. Oh, well, no, I mean, it was, it was throughout India, too, actually, um, the belief in gin. No, it's it's really lovely. Uh, I I get more of the tea yeah. than I was with the aroma. I still get a lot of that limonene. The pine flavor is not as prominent. It's it it takes a backseat. It's more of a an undertone yeah, on the palate. It's kind of giving um, structure, I want to say, yes. to the tea yeah. flavor that I'm getting out of this. But I am mostly getting that just really lovely tea flavor and a little bit of that spice. Black pepper is is it, I wouldn't say it's black pepper. I I would say it's black pepper. Would, would you say it's black? But not like a fresh cracked black pepper. More like a. It's not like fresh cracked. It's it's more of like a like the dried like dried pepper. Yeah. Like it's or even um even like the peppercorns. Yeah, like it's it's not even necessarily broken. It's it's like I can I can taste. Peppercorn. Yeah. Yeah. There yeah. it is. Um, thank you. So it's like You're that. You're quite welcome. And it's, it's merging with the, the flavor of the tea in such a way that's really giving it just some good character. It's a very rich gin, which yeah. gin is not normally a drink I would describe as rich. It's I would rich in a spicy way. Yes. Uh, normally I would describe gin as aromatic. And this is very aromatic. Don't get me wrong, but it's also very, it's, yeah, it's, it's rich and spicy. Rich in a spicy way, yes. Yeah. I think you really hit it with that. I love this. Yeah. This is really lovely. Yeah. I'm glad I could introduce you. Yeah, no, this is my first time trying a quality gunpowder gin. So I'm I'm very pleased. And I'm matching. You are you actually are matching. <laughs> particularly matching. the the cap. The cap is almost the exact same shade of blue that you're wearing. Yeah, it's not quite a cerulean. It's not uh, quite a cerulean. But it's getting fairly close. Oh, is it? Yes, it is. Ooh. Well, you know, if you want to see some really beautiful colors, maybe you should follow our Instagram at Laidback Lush. Actually, I, I do love the way that you edit the photos. There's something about it where it's almost monochromatic, but in that kind of like sepia way. 
Gradient maps. Gradient map. Oh my God. If you are, okay. So like I said, I'm also a painter and a graphics designer. If you haven't discovered gradient maps, they will, they change, will your change, change your life. They will change your life. I like how we were, we were on the exact same page. <laughs> we're right there. <laughs> they will change your life. Oh, especially if like, it, it, this is go- again off the rails, but if you've spent like a lot of time creating like this wonderful monochromatic drawing and you're trying to figure out a way to change over the shading or these colors into something, use gradient maps. Yeah. Yeah. It will change your life. Well, that all being said, though, I think that kind of wraps up everything we had for this episode. We are... I think moving on to our bigger project next episode. Yes, we are. Also, something I wanted to ask, uh, Michael. I'm sorry, I, I literally just remember this. We have not talked about this previously, but oh no! If you guys do follow us on Instagram or on Twitter, please send us any questions you have about the process of making the podcast. Maybe feedback on how you think we've grown over the past year. We are next month in January going to be coming up on our one year anniversary. And we are going to do an episode for it and talk about kind of like what we've learned and whatnot. And so we would love to hear from you guys, or at least I would like, I, I, like I said, yeah, Michael no, has not I, been I would also love this. to hear but just what you guys, uh, you know, the feedback uh, about what you guys think we've done right, maybe things that we should you know improve on or maybe not. just things that be nice about it if it's criticism yeah i'm or, very sensitive or maybe just things that uh that stuck out to you that you were able to use yeah for a night out with friends yeah. or a night in with yourself because that's your really cats. like what we're trying to do is enhance your ability to enjoy what yeah. you're drinking yeah if you're interested in it and you've listened to our podcast and it's helped to enrich your experience in any way we want to hear about it because we're vain, and we love to know our impact we on We just you. love hearing about how good we are at everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we do, because we do appreciate you, yeah. and, and honestly, even in our, in our private lives, Gabe and I, this is, this is what we enjoy doing for our friends as well. As sad as that might be. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just like, so what do you, what do you do for work? Well, one of the things is a podcast where we talk about wine, beer, and spirits. Really? Cause that's what you do with us. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Pursue your dreams. Pursue your dreams. I promote alcohol to everybody except for minors, except for minors, except for minors. Yes. Except well, for minors. Well, I guess technically anyone under the age of 21 in the United States, cause our drinking yes. laws are dumb, but yes, they are. But despite the fact that they are dumb, we still abide by the law. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we we adhere to the law, even if we don't always respect the law. <laughs> if we have a disagreement, we work towards a change because we believe it will be positive. But that does not mean we're starting a lobbying firm, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fund us with wine. <laughs> let me tell you why you should let the people with the- listen. You got to be able to ship. Liquor. Let, let Curiata. Actually, unironically, if anyone from the General Assembly happens upon this particular episode, please let Curiata into the state so they can ship me how to drinks list of all of the liquors that he uses on his YouTube channel. Yeah. Oh, also. And anybody in the Virginia legislative or legislature. Please let us sell liquor in regular ass stores. Also that. Um, but also, uh, I forgot to mention this earlier. Man, we really are off the rails right now. But uh-huh. how to drink. 
has um two really good episodes on gin one is uh his favorite gin cocktails the other one is kind of a summary i guess of what we talked about of the major styles of gin so we've mentioned how to drink before we love him he's great yeah if you like cocktails or spirits at, at all i would highly recommend his youtube channel even just from the aesthetic value of the show it's, yeah. it's a ton of fun he, to watch. he you can tell he really likes what he does and yeah. I, I respect that and a he's, lot. he's a big old mustachioed man yes. and we like what we do and yeah. this has been laid back lush i have been michael i have been gabe cheers and thank you <laughs>